You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Late at night on a Thursday night, we just finished uh, some training with some article students and we're starting the podcast and I have no idea what our topics are, Kyla. But Paul, you suggested one of our first topics to us. Oh, well, I may have suggested it days ago and I don't remember. Yeah, well, that's kind of like the thing. Um, uh, I wanted to talk about immediate roadside prohibitions. Oh, really? Yes. What an unusual topic for us to discuss. In Manitoba. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, I did suggest this, yes. Yeah. But I don't know the details about it. I guess maybe you do. So Manitoba, of course, has an immediate roadside prohibition scheme, a lot like BC's. Um, so it's under their Highway Traffic Act. Um, and essentially what it does is it um, gives people a 90-day driving prohibition. But what they were finding in Manitoba, for whatever reason, was that police weren't using it yeah but what was the reason so they were introducing some legislation to change it the police were not issuing it they were still arresting people for impaired driving the whole idea of the immediate roadside prohibition scheme the irp scheme in bc was to save the police resources they wouldn't have to investigate for an impaired driving offense yes um and uh it would be instead of um eight to 20 hours of police work it would be uh 45 minutes to, to an hour and a half of police work. Yes. So why aren't they using them? So what happened was in BC, when we brought in the IRP scheme in September, 2010, the province spent millions of dollars. Like they did the math. They got, well, if we get $500 fine from each driver and the reinstatement fee and all this, and we refer them to these courses. And, and in the end, we're going to make millions from this. So we're going to spend millions now to make sure that we've bought so many more approved screening devices. You remember this, they went on a big yes, they bought, ASD purchasing spree. They bought 2200 AlcoSensor 4 DWFs in the summer of 2010 and distributed them around the province. And then they bought a couple thousand AlcoSensor FSTs when they made the switch. Many thousands, like yes. I think 4,000 AlcoSensor FSTs. But Manitoba did not. Oh, they didn't buy new ASDs. Manitoba did not buy new ASDs, and they also didn't put really operational resources into training their officers on the program, encouraging the officers to use it. Oh, the cops in BC were rejoicing. They all got training on it. They were all excited about it. It was PowerPoint presentation. They didn't have to be cross-examined. Fill in the blank form. So easy. Yeah, we got a bunch of their PowerPoint presentations. Yeah, that they had. but um, because of in, in, uh, and many of them screwed up everything in the first few weeks. So because in Manitoba, <laughs> ASDs were not readily available because they didn't buy them. So police officers didn't have them in their possession. They just never used the roadside prohibition program. They continued to deal with the cases and the traditional method of going through the courts. OK, but why does that need legislative change? They're, they're, they've introduced some legislative change. They have introduced something that is fascinating, Paul. So this is an amendment to- I just sent you the email that said they were that, that story that said they yeah. were introducing legislative change, but yeah. what was it? So this is the Highway Traffic Amendment Act. So now, if a driver would have been eligible to receive an IRP, 
but didn't, so somebody with no history, and they get a criminal charge, they can go through effectively a new type of statutorily created alternative measures that kind of looks like an IRP, but instead of it being right away at the roadside, it is like it is dealt with through an out of court process before the charges see the courtroom. Oh, that's fascinating. Yes. So drivers. So they're going to still collect the evidence as they would in an impaired driving case. Yes. They're still going to go through the whole process of taking someone back to the detachment and having them provide samples into an approved instrument. Yes. And then they can they can do something that's an out of court. Yeah. So okay. the criteria are no serious injuries or deaths. They don't fail a blood alcohol test. So they don't get like, they don't have a, an IRP issued to them. Because if you fail a blood alcohol test, then you, right. If you fail the roadside prohibition. The breath test. The, the ASD, you you'd get the IRP. Oh, but they're okay. not using ASDs primarily okay, so in it's Manitoba. Basic, so it's still reasonable and probable grounds yeah. formed by the officer on the basis of yeah. the observations they make. And instead of going through the court process, assuming they're a first-time offender, they will um, be referred to an education and awareness process. Uh, they'll be given driving restrictions, so a 90-day driving prohibition that'll happen sometime in the middle of their case. And But don't they get issued one, like a administrative driving prohibition in manitoba i don't think so i don't know anyway i don't know, I think I don't know many, but, but yeah. it doesn't matter and they'll also have a mandatory ignition interlock in their car mandatory but no criminal record it's better it's actually interesting because what i find fascinating about it not just that it's achieving all of these deterrence type things that people say that the irp scheme is supposed to do it's taking the process out of court so it saves all of that taxpayer money that the irp process is supposed to do it's not that punitive because it's voluntary like an alternative measures program the evidence is better the evidence is better but also it's kind of a big middle finger to parliament. Because remember in 2018, in December 2018, when the criminal code was amended, oh parliament gosh, removed right. the curative discharge. And if you got a curative discharge under the criminal code in certain provinces that enacted it, if you had a drinking problem, if you had a drinking problem, or at least, you know, if you said you did, and a judge accepted it, and different provinces looked at it differently as far as what you had to prove to get eligible for a curative, you could be be given a discharge, put in an alcohol counseling and education process, put an interlock in your car, and maybe you'd have a short driving prohibition, maybe not, and you wouldn't get a criminal record. This is a curative discharge. This is fascinating because Jody Wilson-Raybould introduced these provisions into the criminal code to make mandatory punishment inescapable and to mm -hmm. try and make it so the evidence would be just presumptive along all along the line. And, um, and here, this is completely undermining that. It's reintroducing it as a curative discharge after the fact mm -hmm. and the manner in which they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just developing this on the fly here, but it appears the manner in which they're doing it um, is a response to the non-responsiveness of their IRP scheme. So they can point to that mm -hmm. and say, we've attempted this, which is constitutionally valid, as we've seen, because, you know, they did this in 
in British Columbia, and it hasn't been effective in Manitoba. So what we want to do is this. This is actually brilliant. Mm -hmm. This is actually brilliant. It's also like fucking nail in the coffin for the impaired driving lawyers because unlike the IRP scheme where people get angry and they want to fight it because they feel they're being punished and unlike a criminal case where logically you're like okay I should be charged with crime I should get a lawyer you're basically being given a get out of jail free card without the need to have a lawyer so like if you as a government really want to fuck over drunk driving lawyers this might be a way to do it yeah here I am saying this on the podcast government don't listen to me don't do it please (laughs) Um, yeah, because you're holding the, you're holding the, uh, the ax over their neck and saying, you've got to go through this process if you won't go through that process. Yep. Well, there's a constitutional challenge there then. So they are not just fucking over lawyers. Well, and I think, I think there's also. That's, uh, that's, uh, what about your, your ability to challenge that? Um, you know, your ability to speak to the evidence. If anything, I, I can see, uh huge 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 opening for lawyers in 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 dealing with those well and 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 whether or not it's going to go that route are they are they usurping the role of parliament by basically giving a curative discharge when parliament expressly repealed that i think this could be litigated for a long long time sure and i i would be surprised if that stands uh but looking at manitoba's conservative government um, and the fact that this was brought in, uh, the current federal legislation was brought in by the liberal government and how polarized um, these uh, current conservative provincial governments are uh, in, uh, with respect to their vis-a-vis the, the federal government. Uh, I think this is, yeah, it's a fuck you to the federal government. Um, but it is actually dealing with something that's a significant problem for the federal government. And that is these huge flaws that we've seen with this legislation that you and I both presented to the Senate or the House of Commons, whatever, um, with the impaired driving legislation that we have federally. Uh, And that is that these things that were supposed to be uh, quick, easy fixes to make it easier to prosecute have not made it easier to prosecute. Mm -hmm. So one wonders what's going on in Manitoba. They could, uh, you know, when it comes time for the constitutional challenge, the feds are going to be on one side. Uh, and the province is going to be on the other. Whereas when we were dealing with this for the IRP scheme, the federal government had no problem with it. Mm -hmm. The federal government wasn't opposed to it, but I think the federal government could be opposed to this. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of like the idea of having a middle ground between a criminal charge and an IRP. I would love there to be some sort of middle ground. I hate the thought of somebody who, you know, blows one, one fifty. And it's their first time ever, and they're 21 years old. And and if you're in in uh, Ontario, you get a criminal record. And if you're in BC, you're released to the roadside, and you get an immediate roadside prohibition with ex- extremely limited chances to dispute it. And you don't know what that reading is. Yeah. Um, and if you're in Manitoba, they take you back to the detachment. They make you blow into an instrument. You do know what the reading is, and then they hold it over your head. Well, you can be prosecuted. Or we can divert you. Can, you. We can divert you, um, and you'll never get a chance to challenge the police officer's reasonable and probable grounds to have detained you, or whatever bad things that they did to you. Yes. Um, well, it's fascinating. It's always uh, interesting developments in the world of impaired driving. It never goes away. No. One of the things that we've noted 
is that impaired driving enforcement has, um, and talking about it publicly, has dropped off in the pandemic seriously. Like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, they're not advertising like they used to. Uh, people's concern for it has dropped off significantly, but the amount of impaired driving in many jurisdictions where they've actually stopped to look at it, where they haven't backed down in enforcement, have noticed lots and lots of it. And that's a uh, something that I think is going to play out now that the restrictions are easing. Now, there's also something about immediate roadside prohibitions a little closer to home I wanted to talk to you about. There has been, after many long years a policy change with the police. So recently, police forces were instructed to no longer use the prime template. Now the prime template it was, um, for those who are not IRP lawyers that are listening, um, the prime template was a, a document that police officers had to submit as their narrative in IRP cases. They could write their own narrative, like, you know, on Thursday, September 24th, 2021, at 9.53 hours, I observed a vehicle, blah, blah, blah. They could do that. and pleasant evening. Yes. Um, <laughs> but they didn't, because instead they had this little cross-examinee form that was like, background of event. How did the vehicle come to your attention? Uh, re applicable grounds for reasonable suspicion, i.e., and it would give them some suggestions. Was there a delay, say. if yeah. any? <laughs> please explain yeah and it would give them suggestions of what to say as well as direct them to the important areas in their evidence but what happened paul as we know is the police got lazy because they started filling out the prime template with like one word answers really vague information they would just say no to things that didn't make any sense well some parts of the template um contradict the uh, narrative or the report to superintendent one page template. So you're looking at the thing and going, uh, this document now is kind of antiquated. It was introduced in 2010, I think, 15. and amended in 2012 it was introduced or something. In 2015. Which one? The prime template. No, it's older. No, it's not. I'm pretty sure it's, it's older. Version but we'll, two. We'll, it's we'll, from version two. Well, uh, well, that oh, was that would be 2012. 2012. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> wasn't 20 look okay it it's late i'm tired i just taught cross-examination to our students yeah they so had to cross-examine on a cross trial you on it. never seen the disclosure um anyway it's from job. 2012. um, um anyway and, so they've been using this template for a long time and it's a problematic template it has not because, served them well. um yeah no it has not served them well and these uh these using all of these uh um devices to try and suggest what their evidence should be uh, always assumed that every case would be the same. And I think the people who designed it assumed every case would be the same. And the weirdest thing about doing this job is that there's no two cases that are ever the same. So they've finally been given a directive to stop it. Stop using that document. Stop using that Well, I mean, document. I've been mocking them for years about it. Yeah. This is the document that was created two versions of three versions of the IRP scheme ago and a complete rewrite of the criminal code, which uh, all the ASD demands are predicated uh, was in December, 2018. And here we are, it's 2022 and they're still using the same defective template. Yes. So it's, it's beautiful. I love it. Well, that'll be good. We'll see what we get. We'll so, see what they try to hide. <laughs> so the template, that they've been using. The reasons that they're being instructed not to use it is lately 
the decisions from the court have been very critical of vague evidence and the police have been providing vague evidence. They've gotten lazy and sloppy and there's been a spillover effect into other cases where now police don't have, because the majority of what they deal with when they're like doing reports is like, you know, your domestics and your spousals and your this and your that, and then impaired driving, your best practice in report writing is your impaired driving reports. And they fuck them up because they don't have practice at it. Well, that's true. Um, so we recognized early on in the IRP scheme that there would be skills atrophy. In other words, that police officers would become de-skilled in certain things they'd become quite skilled in. One of the things they were quite skilled in was writing police reports. The other thing they'd become quite skilled in is testifying uh, in impaired driving cases because it's unpleasant and it was hard. Um, and we noticed that they would lose their skills. Then we noticed um, prosecutors starting to lose their capacity to analyze these cases because they, they weren't doing them. Mm -hmm. Then we noticed judges uh, no longer having being as quick to pick up on issues uh, and having to explain it to them. And now it's to the point where the skills atrophy has hit you and I in that uh, to some extent too. So, you know, I'm not the uh, impaired driving trial lawyer I was in, in 2009. I would, um, I'd like to think that the skills atrophy has not hit me. I don't think it's hit you quite the same way that it's hit, uh, hit me, but, um, and others in the impaired driving field, because you have a still a fairly significant caseload of them. However, especially in Yukon. However, um, this is interesting because the skills atrophy is, uh, is hitting the police when it comes to using their material, their skills in other cases that we hadn't thought of. And I hadn't thought of that, I guess, in just writing reports. So it used to be their skills were declining in, in explaining things in court. You'd see them come to court and they couldn't remember what they were supposed to have done mm -hmm. to be able to describe what they did. And then you noticed that they're, you know, just in general testifying, they became not as good at testifying. Mm -hmm. And then we noticed that they became not as good as, at writing, I guess. And now other people have recognized that they were not as good as writing, at writing for cases for other forums, other types of matters. Well, yeah, well, that's, that's the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like the more that they got shitty at IRPs and relied on the template the shittier they got at everything else. So they were instructed basically to quit using it and start practicing their report writing skills. Well, it's an important skill for a police officer. And so they wanted an easy fix and they wanted something that was going to make it quick and easy. And now they actually have to write it. So that's good. That'll be interesting. I'm That'll sure learn still, you. <laughs> still going to follow a check box and a and a uh, template of some sort. I'm sure when they're writing it, no, they no, no. It's now, submit that. it's now, a, it's now an actual typed narrative. There was a period of time where the RCMP had developed a form that was a little less cross examiny and more um, not cross examiny. <laughs> I don't know how to characterize it really. It, it was a little less of the the sort of boilerplatey stuff, um, and that form. I think did not get like widespread adoption. Yeah. yeah I see it like at one every hundred IRPs. Yeah. It's not going to be the norm. Well, anyway, there's different templates in different police detachments too. The, the municipal police detachments use different templates. The, um, I've been in my whole career has been a, a history of templates. There used to be a, a handwritten 
impaired driving form that, uh, what's that fellow's name? The, uh, I can't remember it now. His brother was in Mossad. What was the name of the officer? I don't know who you're talking about. Mm. Anyway, there was a police officer who was uh, in Port Coquitlam for some time. He's probably retired now. He was fairly senior when I started practicing. You don't mean Rosenberg. No, 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 no. Uh, no, I I'll, I will go off the record and tell you about it. I don't want to draw okay. attention to the... The, the Mossad brother. This fellow. Uh, but the um, he used to use a... Uh, go off the record. <laughs> we, he used to use a... Uh, just a totally handwritten... His entire narrative was Oh, I know one. who you're talking about. And it was... Uh, and, and it was Yeah, Lawrence Lecker. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, at sometimes he would use it and you just get these scribbles and you're trying to make out the scribbles, but he would be using it as he's conducting the investigation all the way through. And that was it. There was no narrative. Um, sometimes there might be a little synopsis, but those were the days. Yep. Um, okay. It, I it know wasn't, it was not pleasant dealing with that. It was, it's much better to have a narrative and notes so you can actually figure out what happened rather than being surprised on the witness stand. I know it's early in the podcast, but I thought that we should talk a little bit about uh, the person who is also going to qualify as our the ridiculous driver of the week. The ridiculous driver of the week. Okay, tell me about because it. Because this is more complicated. Of course, we've talked about the protesters, the convoy protests, which are still going on. Like, you were assaulted by convoy protesters in your ears last weekend. Oh, my goodness. Well, I was in Victoria and um, uh, staying at the Fairmont with my kids and uh, got the Keith Baldry tour of the uh, Legislative Assembly. And, uh, yeah, horn beeping on Friday night and we left uh, Saturday morning because we didn't want to be around for protesters that were supposed to show up on Saturday afternoon. So that damaged the uh, tourism in Victoria, once again, hurt businesses. So there is a protester, Martin Engelhart. He's from Hope, British Columbia. And he joined the Freedom Convoy. Quit his job. He quit his job. He trucked to Ottawa. He brought them fuel and picked up laundry and did everything that he could. And he transferred thousands of dollars. He had like $13,000 in his life savings. And he basically spent it all supporting these convoy people. He spent it at gas stations where he was like filling, you know, filling gas cans. cans. He was arrested ultimately trying to deliver gas cans apparently to them. And he, his uh, bank account was frozen. Yeah, and his bank account was frozen, so he lost everything. And his identity was revealed, probably in the leaks, I don't know. That's not clear. And as a result of it, his landlord evicted him because he was involved in criminal activity. Yeah. And also couldn't pay his rent anymore because he was involved in criminal activity. His accounts are frozen. He's living in his vehicle now. He's homeless and he has nothing. And is he charged in the end? It sounded like he was charged Not with, yet. with bringing gas, he suggested. Uh, he was stopped at some point with bringing gas. I think he was given like a provincial offense notice. And his accounts were unfrozen, uh, but he's got no money. Somehow he made it back to BC, but he's got no money. But he quit his job to yeah. go out there to that protest. Yeah. Um, anyway, is it a driving law case? He's living in his van. Yep. Yeah. 
I mean, I it that is, makes, that, that and it was part of the Freedom Convoy, and he's delivering yeah. gas to the truckers. I mean, but like, there's a lot going on here because, on the one hand, you know, you don't feel bad for the guy because he kind of brought it on himself. Like, people knew that this action was illegal. People knew this was an occupation. They, you know, they were asked to leave. The giving the gas was prohibited. Um, so he knew he was doing illegal stuff, and he did it anyway. So on the one hand, he's he's earning the consequences of his actions. Well, there's a there's an interesting angle on group behavior here and group dynamics. Yeah, a lot um, of group and in, usually in those group behavior, group dynamics things, there's some person who's a key person, and people follow them. It's the one person who stands up and this is you know bullshit. These corporations are are stealing from us, and let's break the window and go into Best Buy. Yep. Um, and then everybody follows her. That guy doesn't even go in in the end. Yeah. Um, but this guy was quite clearly a follower. Yeah, and that's <laughs> the thing. Like, there's kind of like a major grifting angle here. Like, it's not, you know, Tamara Leach and her husband, who maybe flew on a private jet, maybe didn't, and what's-his-face, the racist guy. Pat. Uh, Pat King. King. You know, they weren't they're facing consequences but they weren't losing their entire life savings to do this they were actually getting money given to them to yeah, organize whether this. or not they got that money or how they you know how that well, they don't worked. have it now but there was a lawyer that they had at one point who was supposed to be distributing the funds mm -hmm. um and whether or not it got to that lawyer's trust account i don't know, I don't know <laughs> if i were a lawyer i would not be taking that into my that's trust not account. the money that you want to have uh, I can tell you, uh, you don't want to have anything funky with your trust account at any time. Um, but, um, yeah, the, uh, uh, I mean, I, there's some people you sort of feel sorry for because they were duped and yeah. maybe they weren't very sophisticated. Um, you know, I'm a reasonably intelligent guy. I'm not the most intelligent guy. I know that. I know there's people who have, you know, well, smarter you than me. <laughs> And, uh, and I, I accept that, but you know, it is hard to think beyond your own intelligence, right? It's hard to conceive to some respect beyond what you can't conceive. Um, and it's the, I remember Donald Rumsfeld talking about the known knowns and the known unknowns. You know, if you don't know about something, you don't know, you know, you don't know about it. You don't understand it. And so these people who don't understand the functioning of parliament, don't understand how the laws come into place, don't understand the electoral system, um, don't understand the law uh, and are really like significantly lacking understanding in those things. You have some sympathy for them. You wish that they would recognize, okay, you know what? I don't know about this. I shouldn't stand up and be acting, however. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, this sort of like grifting angle, whether the convoy organizers or the people who were receiving the money or setting up the GoFundMe are ever charged with any financial crimes as a result of it. Like right now, official charges have been laid um, for mischief and conspiracy to commit mischief and counseling and, you know, all those types of offenses. But I'd like to see, and I think we will see some people charged with financial crimes. I still want to see somebody charged with sedition. The people who created that document, it was sedition. They went there for the purpose of trying to overthrow a lawfully elected government. Um, you know, I think that's where it should go. Uh, I would like to, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, how this plays out with respect to the conservative members 
who supported these people mm-hmm. and any elected representatives who supported these people. Yep. Because I think they should be held responsible whether or not they're charged with sedition. I think it should be called out. Um, the um, you know fascinating thing that we are seeing now is that there's um, there's you know Justin Trudeau traveling around on the international stage uh, dealing with um, implications of the Russian invasion of uh, of Ukraine, and he's facing people who are criticizing him for the handling of the truck convoy, which is absolute fucking bullshit. Um, and people should know better. But look how stupid this guy was. Yeah. So that's why he's our Ridiculous Driver of the Week. Oh, he's our Ridiculous Driver of the Week? Yes. Okay, you didn't get there. I was wondering. I did. You, you I have did. got there. I have got there. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also our, he's our, our, our topic, but also a Ridiculous Driver of the Week. Okay. Well, you didn't say that at the start there. Mm-hmm. So you're like the, you're like the uh, crown witness who waits till the... Very, very end, end just before the Trixie. ends of the crown's case to uh identify the uh the accused oh it's him sitting right there beside the lawyer yeah exactly he's the one in the blue shirt the yeah. red hair and the tattoo on his forehead live to ride ride to live exactly all right well that's our podcast if you need to get in touch with us about a driving law related issue you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or tune in next week for another exciting episode of driving law